Hi, my name's Stephen. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are listening or watching today. Uh, we are continuing on in our series, The World Turned Upside Down, as we go through the book of the Acts of the Apostles that we find in the New Testament. Apostles is simply just another word for Jesus' sent ones, his disciples. And although it's called the Acts of the Apostles, we've already spoken in previous weeks that it's really a book about the acts that Jesus continues to do upon the earth by his Holy Spirit through people. People in the uh, New Testament, these particular apostles, but us as disciples today as well. When I was preaching uh, on the first Sunday of this year, in the first one of this series, uh, I asked the people listening to think about what it would have been like to be one of those early disciples when Jesus was sitting with them, promising them that they were going to be filled, they were going to be baptized, they'd be drenched in the power of the Holy Spirit, that God's power is going to come upon them just a few days from now. That's what Jesus said to them. Can you imagine being one of them? Can you imagine the conversations that must have been happening? Well, it's a bit like that workplace exercise you do uh, that says, you know, what superpower would you like and uh, how would you use it? Maybe they'd begin to think, if I had God's power, what could I do with it? And so they've been thinking about that maybe for some time as they've been praying and worshipping and expecting. And then it's got to the day of Pentecost, the day when the power arrives. Suddenly the waiting, the discussions are over. They suddenly know what it really means to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we were looking at last week. As the power fell upon the apostles, fire, tongues of fire were given to one, different ones of them. There's a sound of a rushing wind. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak out in different languages, what we often call tongues. And they spill out onto the street in Jerusalem, probably not far from the temple. And they're speaking out about the goodness of God in these different languages. And soon, uh, unsurprisingly, a massive crowd gathers around them. It's a crazy sight to behold. So we know what the first act is. The first act is the Spirit falling upon them and then suddenly speaking out in a very demonstrable way. But what is the second act? So we move into this kind of second bit of this story of the day of Pentecost. What's their second act going to be? Is that as, as the power becomes upon the apostles, are they suddenly going to have the strength to beat back an army, maybe the Roman army. Maybe they're going to be able to conjure up weather or stop the weather like Jesus did. Maybe they're going to call down fire from heaven. Maybe they can start walking on water. Maybe they're going to set people free from demonic strongholds or heal the multitudes around them or maybe feed thousands of people for one packed lunch. Is that the thing that happens next? No, it's none of those things. Now, the second great act of the apostles by the Holy Spirit's power was to talk. To talk. That doesn't sound very powerful. I don't know whether it would be on your top 10 things of things you like God's power to help you do. Maybe this week you're facing a work or uni presentation and maybe it'd be helpful or maybe it could help boost your social media presence if you could get a top TED talk onto YouTube. But uh, this talking that we're talking about today is not just talking, it's preaching. It's neither a presentation or merely an inspiring talk, not idle talk or musing about ideas. No, it is a Holy Spirit-inspired sermon delivered by Peter on the great day of Pentecost. Luke, who wrote Acts, has actually given over 25% of this book to sermons. So we're talking about the Acts of the Apostles. Actually, we've got Acts and the Sermons of the Apostles. There's 19 of them. And so as we go through the book of Acts, it'll be kind of fairly usual for us to look at what's being said both the content of it, but also how it's said, how they preach it as well. And so it's not too bold a statement to say that they really did work, turn the world upside down by talking. 
with words, which is not necessarily surprising. We know that words can be powerful. There'll be powerful speeches that many of us can name, like the time that Ronald Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall, in reference to the Berlin Wall, and the fact that Karl Marx birthed uh, communism by saying, working, class, sorry, working men of all countries unite, on the very famous words from Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream that continues to inspire many to deal with racism. Good or bad, for good or ill, words can be powerful. We aren't just here talking about powerful speeches. We're looking at the words of God. When the promised Holy Spirit fills his people, they are truly in spirit, they are inspired, and their words can turn the world upside down for those who are listening. I was away last week uh, visiting the team out in Belfast who are doing a cracking job. And if you look at, kind of tuning in, welcome to you as well. And I was talking to Nicola McCush, and I was part of the leadership team there. And we're just talking about how some of the preaching from this church has shaped our lives. She's talking about Simon Braiding, uh, particularly preaching at New Day on, on the book of Romans and how that just helped us see things uh, fresh. And I was just reflecting on some of the brilliant people that have preached uh, here over the years. Just been so blessed, blessed by Terry uh, Virgo and John Hosier and Dave Bellinghams and Steve Wolford and more recently by Avery Matt Carvel and Terry Paul Weston and Joel, wonderful preachers who have shaped my world, I often turned it upside down, often said things I don't want to hear, but the Holy Spirit has rooted it right in my heart and changed the course of my life. Has that happened for you? Have you heard preaching that has kind of turned you in a moment to a new way of living? Maybe that'd be a good question for you to discuss after the service or in your small groups this week if you're in one. Or maybe even today that's going to happen for you. As a Holy Spirit, empowers the words that I say, God's words, that you will be changed to be more like him or have greater revelation about who he is and his love for you. In a moment, we're about to hear today's passage read to us from Acts chapter two. It's a bit of a longer one. It's three and a half minutes because we've got to get the whole of Peter's sermon into it. And, uh, but thankfully, it's shorter than our normal Emmanuel sermons. I'm going to try and be done in 30 minutes. And it's definitely shorter than Steve Horn's hour-long message recently, Oasis. God bless you there. Or the hour-long messages we used to have here all the time back at the, uh, the beginning of the 2000s. So thankfully, I'm not going to speak as long as that. And although I'll pass you a bit longer, it's worth it. It's worth hearing all that Peter has got to say. Thankfully, uh, it's not just speaking that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our listening can be as well. Peter says twice in his sermon, he says this in verse 1, give ears to my words. And again in verse 22, hear these words. So as we do that, let's pray that the Holy Spirit opens our ears, opens our minds, opens our hearts, opens our lives to the truth of what Jesus has done, that we might be shaped and changed to be more like him. Let me pray for us and then we'll hear the passage read to us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you that it is powerful. Thank you that many of us have known it really genuinely changed our lives, even just bring life to us, that we now know you because of what was preached to us. And we're so grateful for that, Lord. We just want to pray uh, and really ask that you might help us come with expectation again, even as we listen to these words read to us now. Help us to tune in, quiet on our hearts, not kind of wait for what's happening on late in the service or later on in our day, Lord God, just to be in this moment, to hear from you by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we were all witnesses." being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, so let's get going. Let's unpack this uh, reading in three parts today. First, we're going to look at some principles that we can learn from Peter's preaching. Uh, Then we're going to look at the content of it and uh, see what of that we need to grab hold of ourselves for today. And then we're going to learn how to apply that to our lives as well. How should we respond? Let's start with the principles of Peter's preaching. Nice little alliteration there for you. When we look at narrative pieces, bits of story in the Bible, we must be careful not to uh, take the uh, things that are in it and apply them directly to our life. We need to look at the principles behind it. Sometimes what's happening directly there we need to do, but often they're just principles that we need to adopt. Let me explain. For example, Luke has chosen 
what to include throughout his book, but including what to include of Peter's sermon for us to read today. I might feel like it's a long passage, three and a half minutes, but it's actually uh, just a summary of what Peter said. There's no way that Peter said all he said in three and a half minutes. And that's really important because the preaching team wants me to underline to you that this is not an argument for shorter sermons. We don't take what we see here saying, well, it's about three and a half minutes, therefore all sermons should be three and a half minutes. In fact, no, the preaching team wants you to understand that that is not the case that is being made today. And in fact, many of them would argue that we should be preaching at least double. And today's memory verse for you is verse 40, which says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. And with many other words... Let me tell you, as preachers, we want to preach many other words to you. I speak faster so I can cram some more in. Many other words. The point is, there's a principle here at play and then there's what we're actually meant to do in terms of directive. This is not one of them, speaking for three and a half minutes. Okay, but let's get to some actual principles. I've got three of them for you. First one, Peter, Peter, so Peter, Peter is preaching into a context. The particular place and time where he is speaking has to be taken into consideration. He starts his sermon by saying, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. If I did that, it simply wouldn't make sense. There are no men of Judea listening. None of you dwell in Jerusalem. So maybe I could just swap out the names of the places instead. Men and women of Shoreham and Sussex and all who dwell in Brighton and Hove, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. But again, it's not about copying the words. It's about the principle. The principle that Peter is in a real location, time and space. And he wants to take that into consideration as he begins to speak to them. And this is important for all of us. Not just if you're called to preaching and public ministry, but actually all of us are to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. And when we do so, we need to take into account the people in front of us. Context is always about what is going on at that time. There is merit to some timeless exposition of of the Bible. I've got lots of books on my shelves that were originally written 50, 60, sometimes 100 or so years ago and uh, all contain amazing truths about Jesus. But preaching is about addressing the people who are in front of you, addressing them where they are coming from as well. That's why we have this value here at Emmanuel. Nothing, sorry, everything changes but the gospel. Everything changes but the gospel. The gospel is timeless. It can go on the shelf and sit there forever and be untouched. The truth that we see in scripture, we are not going to mess with. You can wrestle with us. You can fight with us. You can try and compel us, but we are not going to budge. We as a church know that the truth of the gospel is sure foundation that we are not going to move on. By the way we wrap it up, the way we communicate it does change from year to year, from city to city, from culture to culture as we look at the people and the things they're facing to address those timeless truths into the reality of people's lives and the geography in which they live. So that's one of the contexts in terms of the places we are, the communities we are, the the workplaces we we, we kind of inhabit and go to. But there's other contexts that Peter is having to navigate. As in front of that crowd, that crowd has just witnessed 122 people, sorry, 120 120 people, uh, be baptised by the Holy Spirit and they've begun to speak out in tongues. And so it's a bit of a crazy scene. And some of them, as a result, are beginning to mock. Say, you guys drunk? What is going on? Others are beginning to come with genuine questions. What does this mean? Now, Peter, as a preacher, could say, well, that's not the point. They just need to hear the truth. No. He looks at the fact that these people have questions about what is going on. And he slows down enough to just address them. 
He starts off by addressing those who are mocking about their drunkenness, saying, I think probably light-hearted, don't worry, it's only nine in the morning, they can't possibly be drunk, something else is going on here. And then he begins to address the genuine inquirers. He does so by taking them to the Old Testament, which fits in with both the principle of context, which is one we're in, but also the next one, the principle of knowing your Bible. Peter is speaking to Jews and converts to Judaism, those who have been hoping in the truth of the Old Testament. They're the one who know the prophets and the Psalms and law, and they know that there is a promised Messiah coming. They know there's a promise of a Holy Spirit that's going to be poured out on all flesh. And so therefore Peter says, hey, look, let me take the scriptures that you hold so, kind of, so, so dear to you, you have, who have turned up to this Pentecost, which is a harvest festival for the Jews. You are a devout in this way. Let me take what you believe already. Let me show how Jesus speaks into this. Again, we're to do that. We're to understand where people are coming from, not just where they live and the time and space, but what are the cultural uh, kind of world that they're living in? And we as a, a team, as a preaching team, men and women, as we look at the text that we're going to bring to you each term and particularly each message, we're thinking through how does this land with the reality of where people are actually living and the things they're actually thinking about. But for all of us, we need to do that hard work, the hard work of listening to other people. That's why we talk about bless here often, B-L-E-S-S, begin with prayer, listen, eat with others, serve one another and share your story. We talk about that acronym because it helps us help other people know about Jesus, discover his amazing love for them. Begin with prayer. We've done lots of that this month. But here what I'm really talking about is L. We're talking about context. We're talking about L is listen. If you listen and maybe look, look and listen to the culture around you or the culture that someone's coming from or just maybe the situation they're coming from. The gospel of Jesus is so multifaceted. There's loads of different ways into it. What is it that the people you're reaching for Jesus right now are going to best connect with so they understand who Jesus is and what he's done for them? Okay, second principle then. Know your Bible. So Peter goes to the Old Testament. It's not, it doesn't always do that. So other apostles like Paul, when he was in Athens, he started talking about the unknown gods because they didn't know a scooby about the Old Testament. But eventually Paul, even though he starts there, and Peter here, they, need, they want to get to the Old Testament because it's God's words. And God's powerful words that change lives. All of it is useful. And uh, not just some of it, not just our favourite bits, not just the New Testament, but all of it is useful for helping people find their way back to God. In fact, even Jesus, uh, Luke records, has spent time with the disciples, helping them to understand that all the Bible points to him. It's not pointless, it points to him. On the, on the walk, on the day, on the road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples, he just explains it. And again, in the 40 days between his resurrection and ascension, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, it says in Luke 24. Understand that it's all about him. And the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they fit together. When he talks about the scriptures, that's what, Peter, that's what Jesus is looking at. That's the Bible that Jesus read. read. It's the Old Testament. So we need to be careful not to chuck that bit out. I know some people are tempted. No, I just want to read my favourite books. Maybe a bit of Psalms. I'll read that in the Old Testament. No, we need to understand the whole Old Testament. It's difficult at times. It's hard going, but we need it. We know it's needed because throughout the New Testament, the New Testament writers reference the Old Testament 880 times, either direct quotes or alluding to what's written in it. So getting to know our Bible is important so that for ourselves we know, might know more about God, but also so that we might lead others to him as well. Back to Peter's sermon. Peter here quotes Joel from the Old Testament. Not Joel Virgo from our church, but Joel in the Old Testament. And he uses it to answer the question, what is going on? And here in our Bibles, it's recorded as saying this. 
For this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. That's what Peter says. But in the more literal translation, it's a Jewish idiom that basically says, this is that. So they're saying, what is this? What, this? This speaking of tongues, these 120 people, is that. That thing you see in Joel. What you've been reading here in these holy scriptures, what you have been taught, what have you been hoping for, this is that. That thing that you have wanted, this is it. Underlining that the fact that the scripture has all the answers and all the explanations for every question that comes at us. In this case, it's a question about the Holy Spirit's outpouring. As we discussed last week, hundreds, before, hundreds of years before the day of Pentecost, Joel had predicted that the Spirit was going to be poured out on all people. Not every person, irrespective of their readiness, but everyone could have it without discrimination. Both sexes. All ranks in societies, no matter how important or how lowly. Every age, the young or old, and every cultural background now has access to the Holy Spirit. In times gone past, the Holy Spirit was on particular individuals for particular tasks for particular reasons. Now it's on all people who are ready and asking. What a wonderful promise. It's great to examine that last week together. Go back and listen. As we bring to be leaning into that as well in this last month as a community, on our Sundays and in our prayer nights during the midweek as well. Let's keep being those who want more of the Spirit poured into our lives because that brings us to principle number three. It is an act of the Holy Spirit. As we read and listen to the gospel, as we speak and preach the gospel, it must be done with the supernatural power of the living God. I remind my children all the time as they open their Bibles, and as we read it together or they read it by themselves, ask God to speak to you before you open. Ask him to highlight what it is that's in it for them that day. Greater revelation of who he is and maybe something specific for them or to pass on to someone else. As we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, God can also use our words to bring revelation and understanding to other people. If I ask you to put your hand up to identify yourself as someone who is convinced that they can find someone right now, tell them about Jesus and they would become a Christian, I think not many of us would say that's going to happen immediately. I think a lot of us have a, a slight timidity about us. But let me tell you, God can speak through you. Speaking up for Christ, whether in preaching or in your everyday life, is ordained by Christ and the Holy Spirit. I don't speak that well, as you have already noticed from this sermon. I speak too fast. I put in extra words where they don't belong. I cut off other ones. I smurge other ones together. That's how I speak. I don't speak that great. It's always very humbling to come and preach, particularly to the camera. But I know that God uses my words even my weak words for his sake, for his glory and for the salvation of people. He can use your words too. And you're in good company. Peter here, he was an uncultured Galilean. Some of their surprise about what was going on was like, who are these people? Why is God working in them? God uses unlikely characters to do amazing things. It's his message and his words that are our confidence to turn the world upside down. I can't do that. I can't do that for you. I can't do that for me. Only God can. He has the Spirit, we have the Spirit. Preaching is not a TED Talk or a lecture. It's not a talk show monologue. This is a spiritual act prepared as much in the place of prayer as anything else. I found that nothing prepares my sermons better than making time for prayer. Sometimes my time is squeezed and when it's squeezed, the prayer doesn't get squeezed out. That's the important bit. As we preach, as you speak, 
The Holy Spirit loves to work through us and also works in the person who is listening, helping them to see something they've overlooked all this time, something that they thought was mundane or irrelevant. They can now see matters and requires a response, which is what happens for these people here. It could be the same for us and the people that are listening to us. Okay, let's move away from some of the principles about preaching and now let's look at the message itself. This sermon is divided into two parts. First, they explain the phenomenon of what the crowd are seeing. And then Peter moves on to this a great apostolic preaching, laying the foundation about Christ, which he does in about five or six points, which we're going to cover some now. Because as important it was to engage with the people where they were at, good to bring context, he needs to make, think, make the main thing the main thing, which is Jesus. Preaching isn't Holy Spirit preaching unless it's about Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives to make Jesus famous and give him the glory. So Peter uses the quote from the Old Testament about Joel to talk about outpouring the Spirit. But the last verse says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He wants to talk about the Lord's salvation. And these devout Jews, they'll know something about the Lord's salvation. He knows that it often comes by people humbling themselves, turning to the Lord and asking for his help. Peter's saying, yes, that's right, but this is the day of the great salvation. And we're going to find out what it really means to call on the name of the Lord. Okay, so let's have a look at what's in this message. The first thing is Jesus' life and ministry. Peter says this, Jesus of Nazareth. That's the beginning words. Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. He starts by just talking about Jesus and what they already know of him. Peter says, you guys, you know who he is. This is only 50 days after he has died. You know all the talk about him around Jerusalem and the surrounding area. You've heard about the works, the wonders, the miracles that he has done. You heard about him raising Jesus, sorry, raising Lazarus from the dead. Peter goes from talking about the context, talking about the Holy Scriptures. Now he's saying, this is my experience. This is your experience. This is what we can see ourselves. You know Jesus, Jesus' life and ministry. Secondly, Peter talks about Jesus' death. Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He goes bold. He's like, yeah, you guys listening, here's a great message about the outpouring of the Spirit. And this is, Jesus, you know. Oh yeah, by the way, and you killed him. He is bold. No holds barred. Sometimes preaching, it comes with a bit of a punch. And they know this. Because many of them are probably around for the Passover as well as for Pentecost. They may have been in the crowds as Jesus was walking up the hill to be crucified. And what does Peter say about it? He says, well, this death, it was for, it was in God's foreknowledge. It was ordained by him. He attributed it to both God and the wickedness of men. Two very important things for us to know and understand. God promised and predicted that through the prophets that, that, uh, that, uh, that Jesus would die, that God would have to die. When I spoke on the first Sunday of the year, I told you to go and investigate it for yourself, that this God-man would die. Jesus would willingly go himself to the cross. No one forced him there. And yet, it was also the sinful acts of men that put him there. This is a big thing for Peter to say to this crowd. What an accusation. It's not mere bravado that Peter says this. No, it's the Holy Spirit's courage that comes upon him to deliver this message. It was because of sin that Jesus decided to go to the cross. Yes, because it was God's plan. 
But that plan was to beat the sin of uh, people like you and me and the people that, G- that Peter is speaking to. Out of love for his enemies, Jesus goes to the cross. The same enemies that he prayed for their forgiveness as he hung there. That's why he went to the cross. Peter isn't saying this to have a pop at them. He's not finally having his piece of, kind of giving them a piece of his mind. No, he wants to show them how great an act of love Jesus has done for them and help them understand their need for the day of salvation, their need of a saviour. Do you know your need of a saviour? Have you understood the magnitude of your sin? Do you know that the wrongs that you do, say and think require a sacrifice? Jesus' sacrifice, his blood. I pray you do. I've been praying that you do. Or if you don't, that you might know it today. Because this message isn't just for the crowd, it is for us too. We too are responsible for Christ's crucifixion. We too are lawless and wicked. Lawless and wicked, they sound like strong words. It isn't particularly palatable. It's not particularly easy for me to say it to you, to put it in these terms. But these are the terms that the Bible uses. We so easily dress up our sin or minimise it by saying it's their mistakes or weaknesses or things that we need to work on. The Bible said that these things are wicked and put us in need of a saviour. We try to minimise and cover up, but Jesus comes to uncover them. Not that he might expose us, not that might he shame us, but that he might cleanse us and then himself cover you with his righteous robes. That's why he comes. And once you've seen it, you can then stand with gratitude before God. You can stand in gratitude and take communion. This thing we remember, a body dead, wine remembering blood shed. We can sing songs about this death being a beautiful thing. We can call the Friday in which Jesus died good. It seems unbelievable, but when you realise what it came to do, or what Jesus came to do, or what Jesus did upon the cross, it changes your mind on these things. Some of you can join in and sing this wonderful song from uh, Stuart Tannen, How Deep the Father's Love, when he says this, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. The cross is a gruesome thing in lots of ways. Jesus was in excruciating pain. But for us, it is life. It is goodness. It is grace. It is joy. It is peace. That's why Peter preaches death, not to rub it in, but because Christ has rubbed it out. Your sin is gone. In The Passion of Christ, of the Christ, the movie that Mel Gibson directed and made about the life, the death really of Jesus, and there's the scene where uh, Jesus' hands are nailed in, into the cross. And I thought it was an urban legend, so I went and looked it up a little bit. It still might be, uh, but apparently Mel Gibson took the nails himself in that scene and drove them in as part of that scene, rather than giving it to the actors to do. He said this, he's quoted as saying, it was me that put him on the cross, it was my sins. Now, I don't know where Mel, Mel, Christian, Mel, Mel Gibson's Christianity is at, and how it stacks up in his life, but at this point, at least, he understood the important fact. It's our sin that held him there. It's our sin that he went to the cross for. His death is caused by you, but his death is also for you. One other thing as well, his death is not the end as well. 
next point that, Je- that Peter makes is that Jesus was raised to life. Jesus' resurrection. Peter tells the crowd that Jesus is no longer dead. He is alive and he's been resurrected. Again, we talked a lot about this in week one because Luke was banging on about it so much in Luke one, also at the end of his gospel as well. He wants you, he wants his readers, he wants Theophilus, he wrote the book for, to know that Jesus is resurrected and he is alive. And that's part of our hope as well. This is the resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the same power that is now helping Peter to preach. And he tells, us, he tells the crowds, as he quotes yet more from the Old Testament, that is impossible for death to keep hold of him. He is the anointed one. He's the one who's now to be seated upon the throne. That's the fourth thing he says, that Jesus is exalted. Where is he now? Peter answers by taking him to another son of King David, says, exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Speaks from Psalm 110, but then says, hey, this has now happened. This law that David was talking about, this is the Lord. This is Jesus who's now seated in heaven. He's the one who's given the spirit. He's 120. He's the one who also is offering the spirit and salvation to you. This is where Jesus is today, ascended on high, reigning in victory and glory. And Peter asserts that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Lord and Lord, King of kings and Christ, the anointed one. And leads us to our final point, fifth, salvation. Peter isn't quite done. I'm not quite done yet as, as well. But we're coming into land. Peter has preached to them a mind-blowing, upside-down, world-shaking message. But he takes a pause and Luke records this response of the crowd. They say this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. They weren't mulling it over anymore. They believed. They could sense that what they were being told was real. Maybe they still had questions. They certainly didn't, hadn't been told everything they needed to know, but they knew enough. The uncertainty had left their heart and they were sure that something had to happen. Something needed to change. They simply and humbly say, what shall we do? And Peter requires simply with two requirements and two promises. He says this, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ we spoke earlier about the prophet of Joel had said, you need to call upon the name of the Lord. Here, Peter is this pivotal moment saying, let me tell you what the name of the Lord is. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. That's the one that you are to call upon. You must repent. Stop following your own way. Stop following religion. Stop following your own sense of righteousness. Stop following wicked ways. And now instead, turn. Follow, put Jesus first. Make him Lord of your life. Acknowledge his lordship in your life. That's what repentance means, to turn and follow him. Take your sin seriously. Wake up to the reality of it. Realise that it is wicked. Don't minimise it anymore. Own it, but know that his blood is enough to wash it away, to wash you clean. Even as believers, we can veer off from believing this at times. I chat with a, uh, someone over text recently who was talking to me about what, it, what a real Christian would do with their money. Uh, should they do this each year? Should they do this each year? I said, that's not what a real, a real Christian is. A real Christian is not defined about what they do with their money. They're defined about how they make Jesus Lord of their life. As we keep coming back to do that time and time again, each day in reality, that's what we see in the Lord's Prayer. 
That's what real believers do. They repent and line up with Jesus and make them Lord of their lives. Yes, it will impact how we use our money, absolutely. But real Christians are those who put their trust in Jesus, trust in the name of the Lord. No longer putting their trust elsewhere. Wonderful thing with Peter is he's the one who's done this. If you think, oh, this is a hard message to hear, Peter's standing there and message giving repent. You need to repent and be baptised. You know what Peter's done? He's repented. He's been baptised. He's the one who denied Jesus three times and now has turned and is following him full-hearted. And he's a living, preaching example of what it means to follow Jesus. Calling in the name of Jesus means humility, being forgiven and being raised up. That's what our second point is about, being baptised. Baptised back then for a Jewish person would have been a bit shaming. It's like, no, I don't get baptised. That's for those who need to convert to Judaism do. If I'm born into it, I'm one of the OGs. I'm one of the originals. I don't need to do that. But for someone in the crowd, for them to go and get back, be baptised would have been a big humility. But the Bible says the Lord lifts up the humble. He lifts up the humble. Some of you, you've not got baptised. You don't want to. You feel embarrassed. You want to, want to tell other people. You're not ready to tell your story. You're not ready to make that step of commitment. But God is calling today. Say, humble yourselves. Own your weakness, own your sin, own your wickedness and let me cover it. Let me cleanse it. Let me set you free and then tell the world about it. First ever telling the world is getting baptised. Two requirements, repent, be baptised. That comes to two wonderful promises too. Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? For the forgiveness of your sins and that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of your sins. Saved out of all our sin, every wrong thing you've ever done, taken from you, nailed to that cross, gone forever, that you may walk free and bold into what God has for you. No longer entangled and snared by the things that once held you back, with a promise of being with your Lord and Saviour forevermore, right into eternity. And to help you know that, to be sure of that, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can become sure, have it sealed in, and guaranteed to you. Receive the gifts, receive the outpouring that you might know your saviour, but also that you might go and tell the world about your saviour. Let me just finish by taking us to this last verse where Peter says, it's for you. This promise is for you and for those who are far off. This wasn't a one-time deal. No, this is for you who are there and for those who are far off. Guess what? Who, guess who was far off? I was, you were. 2,000 miles away, 2,000 years later, this is for us as well, this promise. That if we repent and be baptised, that we also receive the forgiveness of sins and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wonderful promises to grab hold of today. And what happened on that wonderful day when they did that? They've cut to the heart, they heard the promise, they heard the requirements and they responded. And 3,000 were added to the church that day. And Peter, with many other words, exhorts them on that day. And a new community is birth, and we're going to spend the next couple of weeks finding out about that. But let's stop here now. Let's just stop, let's reflect on what we've heard today about the fact that we are called to be those who preach, go to others who are far off from God with this amazing message. But also let this message land in our own hearts that we might worship God with all our being right now.